challenges lie before us are in the hands of our great God, and we are very thankful for his watch care, his love, his protection over us. Um, And it's great to be able to gather together and pray for one another and ask God's blessing um, uh, on the lives of others and to celebrate what God is doing in our lives. Um, And I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. My notes are not here, so we're going to we're going to open God's Word to 1 Kings chapter 18, um, and we're going to work together the outline on the screen as it comes up. But as we do that, let's stand together and read 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 through 40. Um, and this is a great reminder for us of how our God is at work, and He just allows us to serve him and be faithful to him, and yet he is always faithful to us. And what a, what a blessing that is. Would you read together 1 Kings, 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 through 40. Verse 20 says, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left, a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bowls, and let them choose one bowl for themselves. Cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bowl, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you shall call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, He is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal, from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. They leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, 
to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with flour, and pour it on the burnt sacrifices, and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned your hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. What a story that we have just read. You may be seated. Um, the title of our message this morning is A Fiery Contest. A Fiery Contest. And we are reminded uh, of the prophet Elijah, who was a man who, who was, uh, in fact, James says he was a man of passion, just like we are. And so it's greatly encouraging to us to remind ourselves that, you know what, God doesn't need great special people. He uses people like us. He uses people like you and I to accomplish his will in our lives. And what a, what a privilege it is to be used by God for those purposes, to accomplish the things that he wants us to do and he wants us to be faithful in in our lives. So we've been studying over the last couple of weeks about people of faith, people who are... Um, willing to do what God calls them to do. Um, and the reminder is that people of faith simply live out their challenges and their commands that come from God. They act upon the word of God and let God's word become real in their lives. So as we think about this fiery contest this morning, I want you to be reminded, first of all, that this contest, this story, is a real-life story. It's not a made-up story. It's not a, a, a story put together by Hollywood. It's a story put together by our Heavenly Father, by our great God. And so um, 
Teens, if you attended the, the workshops last year and you came to my workshop, this might sound a little bit familiar to you. Uh, and, and the reason is it's one of my favorite stories. I spoke on this last year at a workshop, so I thought I would use it again this morning. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, the first thing we see in verses 20 through 29 is the fact that there is a confrontation. Some of us don't like confrontation, do we? Um, and, and we'd rather just kind of let the, let the confrontation slide. And I'm going to submit to you that Elijah was a man who didn't like confrontation. In fact, Elijah, if we read the whole story about Elijah here and his countdown on Carmel, we see that Elijah was actually a bit of a coward. In fact, when he is told by God to arrange this meeting, he is in hiding for his life. Now, I don't know about you, but um, if you've ever been in a situation in your life where somebody's been out to get you, um, it kind of makes you do life a little bit differently, doesn't it? It makes you kind of look behind you, make sure nobody's, uh, that person who's out to get you, they're not there ready stalking you to, to pounce on you. When, when I was growing up, I think I was about 10 years old, uh, there were these two twins that lived in our neighborhood. Uh, I was 10, they were like 9, okay? But there were two of them, and for some reason, they didn't like me. I don't know if it was because uh, I might have been a little better in different sporting activities than they were, and I probably let them know it, uh, being 10 years old, you know, I'm better than you. So they didn't like me, and they were always out to get me. I was walking home from school one day. They lived in the same housing project that I did. The twins, the Durushi twins is who they were. And, and they caught me one day, and they beat me up pretty good. And, um, you know, so they would never try to take me on one at a time. It was always the two of them ganging up. So I was always now watching out for them, making sure that they weren't here, they weren't there, that, that I could, if they were, I could run home faster than they could get me um, and, and, and hurt me like they did already. So, you know, 1976 is when this happened. That was when they hosted the Olympics in Montreal and boxing. You know, my grandfather was a boxer, so I loved boxing. And, you know, there was this guy by the name of Sugar Ray Leonard. Anybody remember him? He was kind of making a name for himself in 1976 at the Olympics. He was boxing his way uh, to a gold medal title. And so um, uh, friends of ours that lived in our neighborhood, they came across these boxing mitts, four or two pairs, um, and they were those big fluffy boxing mitts. I think they were like training gloves. And so our, our community, our neighborhood was very sports crazy. So whatever was hot for the sports topic at the time, which would have been the Olympics and boxing, uh, we had to try and emulate it. So they brought these boxing mitts down and they, we set up a boxing ring and we were going to box. Okay, um, and, and everybody was talking about boxing, How, you know, who's going to fight who and what's this going to, and so um, the first bout uh, was going to be me versus one of the twins, and I thought, oh, this is going to be good, I'm going to love this, and so sure enough, we had the rope set up for the ring, and we had our boxing gloves on, I even had a trainer, um, he was my friend Chris. In fact, Chris came and did a lot of the electrical work around the, the church here when we built the building. So Chris was my trainer. Herbie was the trainer for one of the Drushy twins. And, um, of course, Sugar Ray had fought the night before. And, and you know, Sugar Ray's custom was that he, he didn't kind of sit back in the corner. He came running right out to face his opponent. And, and one, of the, one of the rounds he came running out, and he just quickly gave the guy a shot. Uh, as fast as he could so the guy couldn't get his gloves up or anything like that. So Chris whispers in my ear, he says, you know how Sugar Ray came out last night and he hit him, guy, he came running, he hit him really fast. I said, yeah, he says, I want you to do that. 
Okay, well, Herbie must have watched the fight as well. I'm sure he did. And he told his Darushi twin the same thing. Come out as fast as you can and go for the punch. So here we come, both of us running out uh, from our corners. And I guess I had a little bit longer reach, believe it or not. Um, and I hit him right in the mouth. And there was blood all over the place. And he kind of staggered and went down. And Chris comes running out of the corner. And he's, yeah, way to go. Great job. And, and Herbie said, no more. This, this is over. We're calling it. And um, so we're like, yes, yes. And, um, and then I looked at him and I said, go get your brother. Tell him to come out and I'll give him the same thing. Yeah, one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't a bad deal. Okay, his brother never came out. But you know what? I never had any problems with the twins anymore. I never had to look behind myself for that confrontation that I was always fearing and dreading and didn't want to have happen. Elijah was a man who had been told by God, okay, I want you to have a confrontation. Now, Elijah was not looking forward to this confrontation. And, and can I tell you this? He had this meeting with King Ahab, and they weren't going out for coffee. King Ahab had one thing in mind with Elijah, and that was to put him to death. He was going to kill Elijah. But Elijah has to have this meeting with him. So what do we learn about this? Elijah was told by God to have this meeting. So I'm going to submit to you this morning that this was a confrontation of faith. A confrontation of faith. Elijah was told by God to go and meet the king. Whew. I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I want to be the one who stands before King Ahab. Because Elijah, three years ago, had pronounced a drought on the nation of Israel. Elijah had been continually confronting, if you will, or pointing out Ahab's sin. And Ahab meets, King Eli or Ahab meets Elijah, and he calls Elijah. Listen to this nickname he had come up with for uh, Elijah. I, I have to tell you, I was watching some of the old 1976 footage of Sugar Ray boxing and, and going to the, to the Olympics. And, and you know who was announcing all those fights? Howard Cosell. Okay? And Howard Cosell, he had a way of, of giving names to people. Okay? Um, and, and so the name we want to give to Ahab, or from Ahab to Elijah is, You Troubler of Israel. That was the king's name for this prophet of God. You Troubler of Israel. And so he says to Elijah, You Troubler of Israel, I'm, I want to talk to you about what you're doing. And in essence, he's pronouncing judgment on you, and I'm going to put you to death. And Elijah says, not me. I'm not the troubler. You are. You're the one who is causing problems in Israel because you are not leading the people the way God would have you lead the people. So Elijah's yellow streak, if you will, disappeared because he was confident in the calling of, God's, of God upon his life. He was confident that God was going to use him to deliver the message. And no matter what, he was going to be successful at delivering that message. Whatever the outcome of that might be was up to God. But he was confident that he could deliver the message from God. And you and I, we can take a page from Elijah's book here. Um, and the fact that when God calls us to do something, nothing can prevent us from doing that. If God calls you to do something, God will deliver you through all the way through that calling in your life. 
This idea of faith, it's not just good for Elijah, but it's good for us as well. We need to be people of faith as Elijah was a person or a man of faith. We also see about this confrontation that it was a confrontation with 450 prophets of Baal. Now, I thought I had a bad one. I had two twins that were always after me. Can you imagine 450? We often fear because we are outnumbered. Or we feel like we're all on our own. Elijah, in fact, he tells God, God, I, th- I think I'm all on my own. I think I'm, I'm in this battle for you all by myself. And he was having a little bit of a pity party. Woe is me kind of a thing. Elijah looked around and he saw 450 prophets of Baal. That doesn't count the 400 prophets of Asherah that were also there. Can I tell you this? When you're outnumbered 850 to 1, those are bad odds. The odds are against you, okay? And Elijah was feeling the pressure, but you know what? Because he was operating in faith, I believe he was confident in what God was going to do in and through him. These 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, They were leading the people of Israel at that point in Israel's history. And that was a direct violation of a command of God. In fact, we read in the Ten Commandments, it says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall not, what? Have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a graven image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath, or that it is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me." Israel was disobeying the first two commandments that God had given to the children of Israel. They had this affinity for Baal. They they were attracted to Baal. And, And Baal, why would you be attracted to Baal? Baal can do nothing. You know, um there's a there's a religion that worships a fat God. You know his name, right? Buddha. What a name. But, you know, every statue you see of Buddha, what does he look like? He always looks the same, doesn't he? He's fat, he's sitting down cross-legged, and he's got his hands up like this. Now, I've never seen Baal in action, or Buddha in action. You know why? Because he's a carved image. He's a graven image. He's something that somebody else made. A lot like Baal, something somebody else made. Baal can do nothing. Baal is, an, is, is a figment of somebody's imagination. Somebody invented him, somebody made him, and somebody pronounced him to be God. Can I tell you this? Our God was made by nobody. Our God is the one true God. Our God is the God of power, the God of action, the God of working in our hearts and working in our lives. Our God is alive. And our God is at work in our lives. That's the same God that called Elijah to go and deliver a message to Ahab, the king of Israel. Baal 
could not do anything. We'll see that in this confrontation as, as we work our way through the text. I want you to know that this is a fierce confrontation. It's a fierce confrontation. And this is where the story begins to get exciting. There's a lot at stake here. It's not just me versus somebody else or us versus them. This is the God of creation, the God of Israel versus the God of Baal and all the other uh, people who were following Baal, the people who lived in the land that hadn't been driven out yet, all these other people that are worshiping the God, not just the 850 prophets of Baal and Asher, it's those of Israelites who have turned their back on the one true God and are following after him. This is a significant confrontation. Ahab called all the children of Israel together and said, Listen, we're going to take care of Elijah once and for all. And, and don't you love the way we read it? Don't you love the way Elijah addresses the congregation? He says to them, How long will you waver between two opinions? If Jehovah is God, then serve him. But if Baal is God, then by all means, follow Baal. Elijah's putting it right on the line here. He's telling them, make a decision. Kind of sound like somebody we talked about last week, isn't it? Choose you this day who you will serve. Whether it be the gods of your fathers on the other side of the river or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, Choose today whom you will serve. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Elijah is doing the same thing. You wavered long enough. Choose today if you're going to serve Baal or if you're going to serve Jehovah. And if you're going to serve God, Jehovah God, follow him. Give it all you got. And here we have Elijah laying the ground rules for the competition. He says, the 450 prophets of Baal, you prepare your sacrifice. You get it all the way you want it to be. You make it so it's ready to go. You prepare the sacrifice. And then, and then you don't put any fire under it. You call out to your God. You, you, you make a big deal about calling God to answer your prayer. And if he answers by fire, okay, then you got something to talk about. But since he won't, I'm going to prepare the altar for God, and I'm going to do everything and get it ready, and I'm going to call upon my God, the God of Israel, Jehovah, and we'll see who answers. So they're working and they're preparing and they're getting everything set up. And then we see the confrontation is marked by folly. Okay, We see the prophets of Baal and what they're doing here. And they're going on and on and they're crying out to God. And they're, they're actually making fools of themselves. Okay, the, the Bible says that they're jumping around the altar. They're leaping all over the place. They're cutting themselves. They're doing whatever they can to get Baal to hear. They're, Baal, hear us! And Baal doesn't hear. Baal doesn't act. Baal doesn't respond. Makes me think of what Solomon said. He said, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The fools are at work here trying to get Baal to hear them and to listen to them. They cry out to Baal for hours and hours and hours, all morning long. Do you know what? Baal failed to answer. And at noon, Elijah put some pressure on them. We see that they were pleading with their God, Baal. 
Oh, Baal, hear us, Baal. Hear us, please. You, you got to know what's at stake here, Baal. You must listen. You must answer by fire. They're stomping up and down. They're screaming. They're trying to get Baal's attention. But Baal doesn't hear. You know why? Because when you make a graven image, it's a solid mass. It doesn't have ears. It doesn't have eyes. It doesn't have hands. It can't do anything. So not only is, is, are they pleading, but we see that Elijah begins to poke fun at them. He begins to mock them. He says to them, maybe you should shout a little bit louder. Maybe Baal's just a little bit hard of hearing. He's hard of hearing, all right, because he's one solid mass. He can't hear anything. Maybe, he says, you know, he's gone on a bit of a walkabout. Maybe he's out of his office, and that's why he can't hear you. Can I tell you this? Our God doesn't have an office. Our God is omnipresent. Our God is everywhere. And when we call upon him, no matter where we are, he hears us. Baal doesn't have that ability. He continues mocking, and he says, I suppose Baal might be a little bit busy right now. He might be tending to something else. He, he can't multitask like the God of Israel can. He can't take care of more than one thing at, at a time. Um, and that could be a problem for you guys at this point in time. Wait, wait, he says, I, I've got it. He's probably gone on vacation. That's why he's not answering. Uh, you'll have to wait and maybe leave a voicemail for him and he can get back to you when he gets back from vacation. Come to think of it, it's just a little bit afternoon. Maybe your God Baal, maybe he's still sleeping. You see, Elijah's poking fun at them. He's, he's having a good time right now because God, their God is not doing anything, can't do anything. We see that Baal failed to produce the desired result. He wasn't able to get the job done, if you will. For the prophets of Baal and for Ahab, they were planning on a victory, but the Israelites saw the folly, <coughs> excuse me, the folly of, of Baal, and he can't do anything. He can't work anything out that needs to be worked out. He couldn't respond to the challenge. And so now we're going to move on in our text this morning. We're going to see uh, it's God's opportunity. It's Jehovah God's opportunity, the one true God. Um, and the, there's one way to really calm our fears when we find ourselves in a stressful situation. You know what that way is? It's to call upon God. It's to trust in God. It's to let God do what only God can do and be active in our lives. And that's what Elijah is going to do here. Baal couldn't get the job done. And so the, the contest now is going to heat up, okay? It's going to get really hot. And, and, and Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, you've had your turn. You've had your chance. You've had your opportunity. And we haven't even heard a whisper from Baal, or maybe we should say a whimper from Baal. He hasn't, he hasn't responded in any way. Baal could not produce. Now it's my turn to cry out to the God of Abraham, to the God of Isaac and to the God of Israel, to the one true God, you know, the creator of all things. 
Let's give him an opportunity to demonstrate his power and his authority. The first thing that Elijah does, we see, is that he repairs the altar. Now that's a state, really, of the, of the situation of the nation of Israel. That they needed to repair the altar of the one true God. How sad is that? You know what that tells us? It tells us they haven't been worshiping the one true God. Because his altar was in disrepair. They weren't ready to worship God. So Elijah sets out and he repairs the altar. He took 12 stones. And each stone represented a tribe in the nation of Israel. And he's signifying here by those 12 stones that God is the God of the nation of Israel, not just the God of a few. Not just Elijah's God, but the God of the nation. The God of the people of Israel. God called and formed and made the nation of Israel. He's their God. And he wants them to be reminded of the fact that he is indeed the God of all the people of Israel. After he repaired the altar, we see the text says that he dug a trench around the altar. Just to make things interesting. Okay, He digs a trench around the altar. And then he begins to get the sacrifice ready to be made. He readies the sacrifice. He cuts it into pieces. He gets it all set up. He laid out the wood in preparation for the burnt sacrifice. He cut the bowl into pieces. He placed it in the wood in order to be burned. What are these? He's, he's operating in faith. He's saying, God, I'm trusting you to send fire down from heaven, to light this wood on fire, to burn up the sacrifice like you would normally do if you were pleased with it. Actions of faith. Elijah expects God to answer by fire. When we pray, do we pray sometimes doubting and wondering if God's able or willing to answer our prayers? Elijah had no doubt. And it's seen in his actions. He is doing what he expects God to do. He's living based on that premise that God is a great God. God is the God of Israel. And that the God of Israel will answer by fire to consume the sacrifice. That's what he expects. Why does he expect that? Because this wasn't Elijah's idea. This was God's idea. And God said, Elijah, do this. And Elijah operates in faith. And, and, and in fact, Elijah has so much faith that he raises the stakes a little bit. We see here the stakes are raised. Just when everyone thinks Elijah is about to call out to God and, and ask God to send down fire from heaven, he says, hold on! I got something else we want to do here first. He, he takes water and he pours it on the sacrifice and on the wood. And, and the Bible is pretty specific about how much water he poured. He didn't just take his drinking um, canteen and pour the water from his canteen on the fire or on the wood. He took 80 gallons of water and pours it on the, the sacrifice. He does, he, he, let's, let's break it down this way. He takes, say, 25 gallons and he dumps it on the sacrifice and he dumps it on the wood and on the bull and it runs over a little bit. And he says, do it again. So another 25 gallons of water all over the sacrifice. Uh, and he says, let's do it one more time just for, just for the fun of it, just for kicks. He dumps the last bucket of 
water on the sacrifice. And it says that the water overflowed the trench. That's why he dug the trench. Overflowed. Can I remind you this? That Israel is now three years into a drought. Can you imagine this madman pouring 80 gallons of water in a drought on the sacrifice? Now, I can tell you, when you're in a drought, you can't waste water. Many times in South Africa, we would face water restrictions. In fact, the police would monitor. If you were, if you were watering your yard, your garden, and you weren't supposed to, you could get fined. You could, you could be in big trouble. I saw police officers jump a wall one time because somebody was watering their garden in the back and they weren't supposed to be. Woo, that's pretty serious. But when you don't have any water and they're now three years without having any rain, they've got nothing for water and here's Elijah dumping 80 gallons of water on an altar. You see what I mean when I say the stakes are raised? He's taking a lot of chance here from a human perspective. If this doesn't work out, not only are they going to hate him for not pointing them to the right God, but they're going to hate him for wasting the water. In fact, they're probably more concerned about the water he's pouring on the sacrifice than whether or not God's going to answer by fire. So he's now got this all soaked. Have you ever tried to start a fire with wet wood? What's the, what's the chances it's going to start, especially if it's just been drenched with 80 gallons of water? It ain't going to start. It ain't going to light. It doesn't matter how much fire you put to it, it's not going to light. So Elijah says, okay, let's, uh, let's go on now. Let's, let's talk to our one true God. Let's talk to the God of Abraham, to the God of Isaac, and to the God of Israel. And in verses 37 through 40, we see a convincing conclusion here. First of all, Elijah cries out to God, or, or as we might say, he beseeches Jehovah God. And, and, and notice his prayer here. His prayer is that the people may know that you are the Lord. That's why he's doing this. He's not doing this to make a name for himself. He's doing this and he's asking God to respond with fire so that the people of Israel will know that there is a God in Israel and it's the one true God. It's the same God that called them, made them a nation and led them through the wilderness and led them into the promised land and delivered them from the hand of... It's the same God that they served through those times. He says, God, remind them of who you are. That you are the Lord. And notice the word there, Lord. It's all caps. Remind them that you are the covenant-keeping God. Jehovah, if you will. He, he wants the relationship to be restored. He wants there to be a time of restoration between the people of Israel and the people of God. He wants that broken relationship to be made whole again. And then we see also that he wants to see these people revived in their hearts. He says, God, would you make it so the people will turn their hearts back to you? Wow. That sounds like a pretty good prayer request for us today, doesn't it? That the people of a nation would turn their hearts back to the one true God. And that maybe God would start with us. That he would give us a full fervor for him and what he is and who he, who he is and the things that he does. Maybe our hearts could be revived. 
and brought back into a, a very purposeful and special relationship with him. Well, we, we move from Elijah's beseeching Jehovah to a blazing response. Did you have any doubt how God would respond to this prophet Elijah? Remember, God told him to do this. So Elijah says, okay, he cries out to God. And then we see that fire came down out of heaven. Can you imagine this? It's a pillar of fire. You can trace it all the way back to the sky. That's where its origin was, from the place of God, the very abode of God. And this fire comes whoosh, down out of heaven. And it, it, it starts at the top. It lights the, everything on fire. It can, it's a combustion from heaven. Fire fell from heaven. And then it's a consuming fire. It consumed everything. It consumed, it consumed the burnt offering. It consumed the, the wood, according to our text. Not only did it consume the wood, but it, it consumed the stones and the dust and the 80 gallons of water that was poured on the fire. It was consumed. It was all gone. God answered the man of faith. So this blazing response leads to a beautiful outcome. And that beautiful outcome we see is the adoration of Jehovah God. The people's hearts are turned back, at least for a moment, to the one true God. It says here in the text, the people, the Israelites, they fell on their face and they worshipped God. They saw the hand of God through the prophet Elijah and they began to worship him. We also see in the very next statement that the people forsook Baal and followed the Lord. They forsook the the, the false gods, the impotent God of Baal. They turned their back on him and they began to follow after the Lord God, Jehovah. Now, if we were writing this story, we might leave it there. We might stop. But we see that the scriptures don't stop there. The scripture goes on and it talks about something else. And when we read it, I think it was Scott that said, Amen. We see the annihilation of the prophets of Baal. Elijah said, Okay, you men of Israel, you people of renewed faith, you people who want to follow after the one true God, we need to do something here. And what we need to do is we need to rid the nation of Israel of these false prophets. We need to rid the nation of Israel of these people who are leading you away from God. And so he took all the false prophets, he rounded them all up, all 900 of them, took, or 850, took them down to the brook Kishon, and he executed them there. So they would no longer have an influence over the nation of Israel. This popped into my head, this problem not having notes, I guess. Is it time for the people of God to get rid of the false prophets in our nation and in our world? Is it time for us to kick the people off our TVs and off our computers and off of all these other places? These people who are in it for the, for the money? These people who are the false teachers in our day and in our age? Dare I mention a couple of names? I don't normally but the Joel Osteens of our world today, we need to stop listening to them. I'm not calling out for violence against them. But the false teachers of the, uh, that say they're teaching truth, turn them off. 
I'm not a book burner either, but I wouldn't have a problem with you burning his books. Because they're garbage. They really are. Let me throw another one out there for you. Ladies, don't be offended. Joyce Meyer, get rid of her stuff. It's no good. Maybe it's time for the people of God in our world today to stand up for what is true and what is right and put these guys out of business. That's all they're in it for is the money. Stop listening. Don't don't give them an audience. Don't say, well, you know, we can pick out the good. No, you can't. Why waste your time? (laughs) I remember I mentioned his name one time in a former church and not in South Africa. Uh, And then later on, one of the deacons came up to me and said, why are you picking on Joel? I like him. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, we have a problem. There's nothing to appreciate about that person because he's out to lead people astray. Elijah wasn't pulling any punches. He got rid of the false prophets. And then he gives credit to God. He recognizes who answered the prayer. Who was it that responded? Jehovah was recognized as the one true God. Jehovah is the God to follow. Jehovah is the one to stake your life on. And you know what happened? Not only was Jehovah recognized, but the people were revived. The people were brought back to life again. And then we see, as a result, the healing that took place. We see that Jehovah sent rain upon the land. Scripture, if we continue reading, tells us that God sent rain in the land of Israel and the land was rejuvenated. After three years of drought, the the land came back to life because of the work of Jehovah God. Oftentimes, when God gives us victory over our struggles and over our problems, um, when you and I desire to let God be God, we see him for who he is, our spirits are brought back to life, we are revived in our understanding and our confidence in who our God is. And then we're, we're encouraged to keep moving forward. We want to keep serving this one true God. What a great God that we have who has called us into service for him. What a contest, this fiery contest on Carmel. It starts out with a man that is scared. Make no mistake about it. He had good reason to be scared, but he was scared. But then God got a hold of him and turned his fear into faith. And James says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he got scared just like we get scared. Or we get scared just like he got scared. And even though he was a man of God, he knew what it meant to be afraid. But I know that Elijah's life was transformed by him allowing God to work in and through him. Can I tell you this? When you and I trust God to be God and believe God to be who he claims to be, he will help us overcome that fear. He will help us have victory no matter what it is we're facing. God can be just as great to us today as he was to the prophet Elijah back when he stood on Mount Carmel to face down the 450 prophets of Baal. God can do just as great things in our life, in our church, in our world as he did in the nation of Israel. When we do right, 
When we do what is right before the one true God, he can do what is extraordinary because that's who he is. And can I remind you this, that if you're expecting God to do extraordinary things in your life, you need to be obedient to him. You can't expect the ordinary, or you can't expect the extraordinary if you're not living a life that is pleasing and honoring to the one true God. Countdown on karma, pretty impressive stuff that our God does. And he doesn't just do it then, he does it now as well as we yield to him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you so much for your love and your care, your blessings. Thank you, Father, for all that you do, for who you are. You are a great God. You're a God who is worthy of all of our praise, all of our glory, all of our honor. And Father, may we be faithful to you. May we understand that you will do what you say you will do in the pages of Scripture as you reveal yourself to us there. Thank you, Father, for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.